0: Hello, my praying people, and welcome to this episode of the Prayer Clinic Podcast. The Prayer Clinic Podcast is a place where we talk about all things prayer. We talk about the ways we can pray. We discuss how to pray over certain circumstances and situations that we're facing. We talk about... um, uh, answers to prayer. We talk about God's promises He gives us for prayer, and basically, we just talk about praying, and not only that, but we also pray as we um, talk about these things. And you know very well that several times I will um, go to the subject of deconstruction because that's a particular place that I'm praying and um, a what I would call a battlefield that I'm ac- getting to exercise my weapons of warfare on and discovering on that uh, treasure hunt of discovering the victory there. So um, this particular episode you're about to listen to does dive into the subject of deconstruction again today as I talk about uh, five of Satan's strategies that he uses against those that are deconstructing their faith. Before you listen to this episode, I want to give you a sneak peek preview of what we're going to do this summer. Last summer on the prayer clinic podcast, I partnered with two other women, Diane Nix and Jackie Garner to present to you, um, our five smooth stones series. And we talked about the five smooth stones that we have in our bag that allows us to be armed and dangerous. And so if that interests you and you weren't listening to the podcast last year, you can scroll back in the library and, and scoop up those, from our summer series in 2021. But for the summer series this year in 2022, I have partnered with several other women. I think there'll be about eight or 10 of us total uh, that will visit with me on the podcast throughout the summer. And these are some of the really coolest women I know that are in ministry doing the same kinds of ministry that I do of writing books and speaking and leading at conferences and retreats and um, and just um, serving the local church. And these women and I are going to present to you the truth about women. And we're going to talk about the biblical truth about women and how that impacts us today in the world and in the church And, um, you know, in the advancement of the kingdom. So be looking for that. It's coming up in just a few weeks. I will start my summer series, which is going to be called the truth about women. But now in this episode, um, kick back and enjoy, um, my unveiling or my revealing five of the strategies that Satan uses against our kids that are deconstructing their faith. Hello, my praying people. As you know, if you've listened to my podcast for very long, one of the ordeals that I'm dealing with in my own life, one of the areas of prayer where I camp out most is in the deconstruction of faith that's going on in the lives of um, some of my children, going on in the lives of many, many people. In the world today and so when I talk about deconstruction know that I'm talking to parents I'm talking to people who love people that are deconstructing their faith I am NOT somebody who has struggled with my faith like so many especially young people are doing today but I am um, very attached to and I love very much uh, family members that are struggling with their faith and I have very good friends who also are struggling with family members who are deconstructing their faith. And so I want to share uh, along the way on this prayer clinic podcast, what I'm learning about the ways that, um, deconstruction takes place. And some of, I want to expose the, um, things that Satan does. I believe in this process and how he actively engages in this battle over the souls of our, of our children, um, recently i was uh contemplating what happened and how the progression of thoughts and um what trails my person went on to get perhaps where they are today and of course i don't know exactly what was going on inside of them but i started putting together the pieces of conversations we'd had and and um, things that I've learned along the way as I sat and I reflected on on the journey itself. Most people who are deconverting aren't necessarily doing this overnight. It's usually a process. And the more they were um, passionate and real and genuine in their faith, the more complicated that process is, and perhaps even the longer it might be. But it helps me to break it down and to make a little bit of sense out of what how did this happen like how did this come about i i went from this is unimaginable to being like okay it it is unimaginable and yet here i am and so i'm trying to make sense of it um if that makes sense to you i hope it, it does this past Sunday, our next-gen pastor, Sam Landreth, brought the message. We're in the middle of a series of messages at Thompson Station Church talking about uh the name of the series is The Truth About. And Sam brought a powerful message called The Truth About Deconstruction. I'm going to put a link to his message in the show notes. So in case you haven't heard it yet and you would like to take time to listen to it, I encourage you to do so because he really, in a sermon setting, uh, gave a lot of insight into what happens and what are the kind of not necessarily the steps, but the various aspects of deconstruction and 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 what goes on in that. And so, um, do take time to listen to that message. But what I want to share is something that I had muddled through, and it's really five strategies that I believe have been effective in the deconstruction that leads to deconversion. If that is a thing, even we could get into a theological conversation about whether or not that's even possible. (laughs) But honestly, right now, theological conversations are not what I'm interested in. I'm I'm really interested in understanding enough to be able to pray effectively and to be able to keep my faith bolstered and to encourage you and your faith as well as we are iron that sharpens iron. On this particular battlefield for the souls of our people who are deconstructing, deconverting, turning away from Jesus and, and going after the schemes and the deceptions and the lies of the enemy. So anyway, I have five of these, five of these strategies. I believe the enemy uses against the people we love. And I want to share those with you. Number one, the, the enemy whispers this lie into the ears of people who are questioning their faith or beginning to question their faith. And this is what he says. Look at how oppressive your Christian faith is and how hard it is to live it. In our world today, the the current of the culture is no longer Christian. And so to live according to the... Um, rules in the scripture is to live very contrary to the norm in our society. It is not normal to wait until after you're married to have sex. It's no longer normal to call it normal for a man to be a man and a woman to be a a woman. It's not normal to... um, to declare that sin is sin there's just so many things that our culture has given up and denied and no longer embraces and so for a young person who is christian living in the world who's trying to live according to what the scripture says well they either live according to what scripture says and that's hard Or they choose to go ahead and live like the world but deep inside they have a constant contention of um, the the teaching that they had as a child that the way they're living is contrary to what they ought to be doing and yet um, they look around and it looks like to them that the people that don't have the the burden of the rules seem to be much happier and less inhibited than they do and the rules become burdensome and um satan says to them look look you're you're carrying this burden of rules it's gotten awfully heavy hasn't it and it would be so much easier just throw that off and so that's the first that's one of the first ways i believe that the enemy speaks to people that lead them toward deconstruction he says look at how oppressive your christian faith is And how hard it is to live it. And um, so as young people look at that. They're like yeah you know what you're right. And then they go ahead and break the rules. And then the devil says. um, Notice how much shame and guilt you're feeling. And that shame and guilt is coming from the restrictions that are created by your religion and he'll go on to say and this is number two notice how kind and generous and non-judgmental people of other faiths or no faith at all how kind and generous and non-judgmental they are to each other and now compare that to the judgment you're feeling because you're feeling it internally as we would call it conviction of the holy spirit who's always looking out for your good and for your best interest, but you've already thrown that away by saying, you know what, it's no harm to do these things that the Bible forbids, so I'm just going to go ahead and do it. And so then it just feels like shame that's coming at the hands of judgmental people. And um, the enemy can say, now compare the criticism, judgment, rejection, and hurt that you are feeling, or maybe that you've witnessed your parents or uh, other friends going through, Because of their experience in the church. Now you and I both know that um, there is no perfect church. Churches are not places where we no longer struggle with sin or self or or temptation. And church is certainly not a place where perfect people do perfect things and treat one another perfectly all the time. Um, There are even many churches that are so void of the fellowship that we ought to have in the faith that they are incredibly contrary to what people can give and feel in the world. I have recognized in many secular places much more affirmation being shared and much more um, exchange of, uh, of compliments and building up and encouraging and genuinely um, embracing people without judgment i um i'm not going to go into something else that just came to my mind but in the church there often you don't find that as much and um that my friends needs to change we the church need to learn how to love each other genuinely without judgment and criticism and harshness and and um all of these things that cause us to be um Pharisaical and Sadduceeical <laughs> to be the Pharisees and Sadducees that Jesus had the harshest words toward, and um the the huh, the terrible result of the church not being a loving place is that the devil can use the church to um dissuade people from the faith you know even jesus in john 17 told us to love each other and he said they're going to know you're my disciples by the love that you have for one another and when we're not loving each other in the church they're not knowing that we're the disciples of christ and so the devil has created a a um Uh, a place or another religion many other religions where love is the theme and love is supreme and um, people find affinity with each other they're hurting lonely people and they connect with each other really well in those places uh, uh, initially anyway and he then is giving them what their souls are very hungry for and what the church is failing to give them so one was look at how oppressive your Christian faith is and how hard it is to live it and how you feel when you break the rules. Number two is notice how kind, generous, and non-judgmental people of other faiths or no faith at all are to each other and compare that to the criticism, judgment, rejection, and hurt you, you feel or that you have witnessed as part of the church. God forgive us for the way that we have failed to love each other in the church. So those are two, two schemes. The third is... That the devil then will be bring up the history of the church, the organized church itself, and he will um, point out how the church has used its power to exploit people and to commit incredibly terrible deeds of darkness. And all, all he has to do is open up a European history book or a world history book and point to the Crusades, the Inquisitions, the the witch trials, the um the religiosity of race racial um division um and even in recent history you don't even have to go to the history book. you can just go into the archives of news articles and you see how political the church became in the past few elections and so satan has all of these things at his fingertips that he then can stir up and throw in in your face and just say, look at all this. This is the church. This is what you're going to give your life to. This is the faith you have. And people that are smart and people that are already compromised because they've chosen to live outside the rules and people that have had personal experience with hurt inside the church then just become more convinced that Christianity is not what it claims to be when they take a look at history. The fourth thing then is where Satan will really draw his message into a um, I- into its conclusions. He builds his case by um, appealing to your flesh and then by reinforcing it with the, um, the proof that Christians are mean, (laughs) and then, uh, making you take knowledge that not only are Christians not pleasant people today, but they have not been pleasant people for centuries. And the conclusion he draws then is this, and see if you can follow it with me. He says The church is actually the root of all of the deep darkness in the world today. The church itself and the message of the Christian faith has created a systemic wickedness of the worst kind and it finds its source of power by teaching mankind that they are broken And once they convince people they're broken, then they have the power to um, lure you in and preach a gospel, a good news message that includes this Savior that came to fix your brokenness and inviting you to give your life to him. And then to press you into a life that is lived pleasing to the supreme being who's intent on you worshiping him while you commit your life to the mission of sharing him with everyone else who's broken. And what Satan says is this is such a terrible thing. And it's such an obvious way to win power over people. Um, so it, it's all built on brokenness and wrongness and the need to to get it right in the way that they that the bible prescribes and um if you take away the if you take away the reality of sin in the world and if you really believe that people are genuinely good at their core with no evil and wickedness in them, then you take away any need at all for a savior. And so you basically dethrone Jesus. You take Jesus off the cross and therefore you take him off the crown off his head. And this is what Satan wants to do. He wants to dethrone Jesus. And the reason he wants to do this is because Jesus dethroned him. Jesus came to earth and he conquered Satan and with his victory that was won on the cross and then proven in his resurrection Jesus has established himself now as the ruler both in heaven and on earth and he's given us people who connect with him he's restored us to our original created um position, which is a position of dominion and authority over God's creation, which by the way, my friends, means that we have dominion and authority over Satan himself when we're operating and acting in the name of Jesus according to his will and according to his and, and for the purpose of his glory. So Satan convinces that our our persons are deconstructing persons that their christian faith is ridiculously hard and just silly to have to abide by Then he points out the judgment and the criticism that leads to the shame and the guilt that is heaped on you, that all originates and comes in the church, shows you that people outside the church don't have all that and that they're much nicer and easier to get along with. And then he has you look at the great scheme of things to build the case that it's always been bad and it always will be bad. Of course, he doesn't talk about all the good that the church has done through the generations and all the changes in the world and how the world is literally a a better place because of the people who have believed the Christian message and have lived that out and permeated the culture with it. But he obviously is not going to talk about all of that. And then he whammies it in by edging you closer and closer and closer to this place of of believing that man is innately good, not innately bad. And after he gets our people to that place, his fifth strategy that he uses is to offer them a better way. And his better way is the way. It's the way of love. And um, he, he proclaims his gospel in saying that there's no darkness in his love. There is only light. And that at the very core of you... You are goodness and light and, um, that it's the church that has lied to you because the church wanted to have power over you. But he now is offering you a new church of sorts and his way is rooted in the life force and the energy forces of the earth. And in fact, it gets into quantum physics and, um, and uh, uh biology and and learning about the magnetic fields and the spiritual forces and how fascinating our bodies are and how amazing creatures we are and how we are spiritual beings have an earthly or a bodily experience and he appeals to this um the spirit in us, and then he begins to tell people that they don't need God because they are God, that they themselves are divine. And many people then will slip over into believing that they have, in the same way a divine being has been, that they also have been eternally present. And they are merely the reincarnation of another um person who's been living throughout the ages and so in their present state they're bringing with them all of the the pain and the suffering of those that have gone before them and then satan will begin to to speak to their hearts and tell them that they are special but maybe even because they are different and they have come now into the world to save others and to live their life um, uh, manifesting this this uh, this news of goodness and wholeness and freedom and love and all of this to um, anyone who will listen most of the time it involves paying for the listening Of course you know i can't go totally crazy about that because people pay to read my books and they pay to take my courses as well and so they also create books and courses and of course in all of their spiritual paraphernalia that helps to um, contribute to all of this and there there you have it those are the five strategies like the progressive way that satan will present in a believer's life and the the thing is that we need to recognize and know is that satan knows about our faith he knows about our religion he knows about um and he knows our weaknesses he's been watching and he doesn't really have to um start from the basis of straight out lies he can start from the place of truth and then he can just shine the light on the darkest parts of us and use that to um, then so absorb people in thinking about it that way that all of their thought processes uh, unravel and and get out of control. So there you have it. And um, you may be like me and say, well, that's just sad. That just stinks. But here's, here's where I want to take us now. It is sad and it does stink. And it's, it's, um, it's an awful thing. But understanding that that's how Satan works, I'm not telling you this to go and talk to your person and get into a conversation with them to try to straighten them out and fix them. Now, I'm not saying you can't do that either. You, you have to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit to know whether having talking is a good idea or not a good idea. <laughs> but I will tell you what is always a good idea, and that is to trust God where God's Word may no longer be active in the life of the person you're praying for because they rejected His Word and they are maybe not even reading His Word anymore or paying any heed to it. God's Word is living and active. It doesn't deactivate God's Word. It just um, separates this person from the benefit of it. But the way that you can reconnect them to the benefit of God's Word is for you to pray God's Word back to Him regarding them. And there are so many promises, my friend, in the Word of God, promises that will directly relate to the life of your son or daughter if you're a parent. And you're going to find some of those great promises in the books of Isaiah, in the Psalms, in Jeremiah, You're going to find some, perhaps even in Daniel, all over the place, but especially in those books, you're going to find a lot of promises regarding your children and your grandchildren, your great-great-grandchildren, all of your descendants. And we don't have to fix our people. We just have to take hold of the promises and trust our God. And so the best way to pray is to find those promises that really resonate with your spirit and um thank god for giving them to you and then trust that he's perfectly capable of keeping those promises he's a promise keeping god another way to pray in this kind of knowledge is that God would send messengers into the life of your son or daughter, other believers who are especially equipped to be able to connect with them and to um, speak truth and love to them and that will befriend them so you can pray people into their lives. And then a great way to pray when um, you're overwhelmed by the painful, perhaps, separation that this faith journey has created between you and the person you love, is to um, cry out to the God who is so great, By focusing in on the greatness of him and just spend a lot of time worshiping God and praising him for who he is and for what he has done before and what he's doing around you. And stay in that place of praise and worship until your innards, your spirit really is satisfied with the truth that you're proclaiming and see if God won't um, strengthen you in the inner man. And then I would say, um, when you're with this, your people, um, it's best just to love on them, just love them, um, be engaged and interested in what's going on in their life and, um, continue to demonstrate, allow God to demonstrate his power on the platform of your life. And one of the best ways that you can demonstrate the power of God is by, not coming undone (laughs) in these circumstances. Like um, the strength that you walk in and the integrity and the joy that you walk in will speak volumes as they are continuing on their journey as well. So there you have it, my praying people. I just wanted to share these five ways that the devil works and how subtle he is. I wanted to um, assure you that um that God's going to win these battles, and that, as we continue praying, we continue praising, we continue trusting Him with them, we can know that greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world, and that there is not anything at all that causes him to jump up in surprise or to wring his hands in confusion. God always knows what to do, how to do it, when to do it, and he is eager to answer you when you pray. So let's keep praying. As I closed out that episode, I happened to, to um, switch over to um, my, what is it, my email. And I found this great prayer for strength in battle. So I want to read that to you right now. Heavenly and almighty father, hear my prayers You know my heart and my needs. So help me believe and trust that you are big enough for all that burdens me. You are enough. You are more than enough. The bread that sustains me, the true bread that gives me eternal life. Help me to put my trust in you to be all that I need, fully yours, only yours. For you are my refuge and my strength my comfort in the storm, my strength in the battle, my provider in the times of want, my Savior for all time. I praise your name and put my trust in you. Amen. And this comes from um, the Prayer and Possibilities Ministry. I think that's what's called Prayer and Possibilities. I might have to try to get Miss Catherine, the leader of this ministry, on our podcast sometimes. Anyway, that's a good prayer for us as we conclude that episode of our prayer clinic podcast. I look forward to talking with you again next time.